Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are counting on you every moment of every day. And Lord, the world has gone absolutely crazy, and you said that it would be this way before you return. So give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us a mind of understanding so we might see the sign of the times, and we might be more aware of your coming than ever before. God, I pray that we would live each day as if it were our last, because one day it will be. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank everybody here today and also those joining us on the stream and on TV for all of your prayers for my daughter, Cammie. Uh, for those of you who don't know, she's had several back surgeries. She's in constant chronic pain. She had a procedure done just a few months ago, actually a few weeks ago, and the procedure didn't go well. She has healed up from that procedure, and she's going in on Friday to do another procedure. And I wanted to let you know before the procedure so you could pray for her. So I hope that you'll just write down on your little prayer request, Cammie, and you remember her in your prayers. That would mean the world to our family, so thank you so much uh, for doing that. I was reading a book by John Weiss, and he told a story in the book about a time when he was in college, and a bunch of his friends came up to him, and they said, we're going to go to the fire tower. Now, the fire tower was a tower that the firefighters used to use, kind of scope out fires that were happening in the forest. And, and he said, no, I don't think I want to go, and so the friends took off. Well, a couple of hours into it, John got the idea that maybe he would call a little prank upon his friends. So he put on his darkest clothes that he had, he drove to the spot, not exactly the same spot, but close to the spot where they had parked their cars, and then he began to slowly work his way through the woods. Now, he said, on this particular night, it was extremely dark. Uh, there was no moon on this night. It was hazy at best. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And so he begins to walk in the direction of the voices that he hears in the distance, one step after another after another. He's getting closer and closer and closer. Now, have you ever been in a situation when it feels like someone is by you or looking at you, but you can't know for certain that someone is there looking at you? I remember when my youngest daughter, Hannah, when she's just a kid, she slept walk all the time. And when she would sleepwalk, for some reason, she'd always come to me. I don't know why that was. She would always come to my side of the bed with her big bug eyes right there. And I'd be sleeping, but I would sense that something wasn't right, you know. And you open your eyes, and there's your kid staring at you like that. It just freaks you out, you know. So all of a sudden, John feels like, you know, somebody's near him. And, and one of his friends is saying the same thing. He turns to his friend and says, guys, I think somebody is out there. And John kind of holds back his laughter because he knows that it's him. So he takes a couple of more steps forward. And the guy says, listen, listen. I really do believe that somebody is out there. And his friend said, oh, cool it, man. You're just trying to scare us. And you could hear the fear in all of their voices. This couldn't have been any better for John at this moment in time. The guy said, no, 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 I'm serious. There's somebody out there. And then John, with every fiber of his being, he said, you kids get off my property. Well, the kids began to scramble. First, their bladders emptied, and then they began to run in every different direction that they could possibly run. And John chased after one particular girl. Her name was Amber. He chased after her for two reasons. One, she was the slowest, and two, she was the most paranoid. John said, up until this point in time, I had never heard Amber cuss not one time. But on this particular night, she cussed a lot. 
She put words together that he had never heard put together. He w- she would have made a sailor absolutely blush. Well, they get in their cars and they drive away and John has a good laugh. Next morning, they all meet up for breakfast. John's sitting there eating his Cheerios, just enjoying his morning. And one of his friends, a, bo- a young man who could have been the poster boy for steroids, said, we could have died last night. And immediately, John's Cheerios started coming out of his nose from laughter. Now, why do I tell you that story? Well, if they would have known what they were afraid of, they never would have been afraid. We're talking about the end times. And I talk to a lot of people like, this stuff is freaking me out. This stuff is scaring me to death. Why are you afraid? Greater is he who is in you than he that is in this world. Let me tell you about Satan. He tries to appear to be bigger and better and tougher than he really is. And he is no match for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God is still in control. And as we go through this talk today, I want you to remind yourself of that again and again and again. Because we're going to talk about the Antichrist in the end times. We've been studying the book of 2 Thessalonians. And we're up to chapter 2. And today we're going to look at three ways that Satan is working against the return of Jesus. Write this down if you're taking notes. The first way he works against the return of Christ is through false prophecies. 2 Thessalonians says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord was already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what's holding him back. So that he may be revealed At the proper time. Okay, remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The church of Thessalonica was concerned. And they had a couple of concerns. They wanted to know what happened to their loved ones who died because Jesus hadn't returned. So 1 Thessalonians, he answers that question. And then between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, someone said that there's a letter that's gone around, a prophecy that's gone around that Paul has spoken or Paul has written that says that Jesus has already come back and that everybody else has missed it. So Paul sits down and he begins to write to say, hey, you haven't missed anything. These are the things that have to happen. Listen, false prophecies. We talked about this a little bit last week. They're going to come a lot, aren't they? And here's what makes me so frustrated about all the false prophecies that, that people come up with. You know, this is the date. This is the time. This is when Jesus is going to return. And, of course, it doesn't happen the way they say it's going to happen. Because no man knows the day or the hour when the Son of God is going to return, right? Not even Jesus in his earthly form knew when he was going to return. Only the Father who is in heaven knows when this moment in time is going to come. So we have all these false prophecies. And so, of course, every time you hear of a false prophecy and someone says it's going to be this, day and this time everybody starts rolling their eyes everybody gets all scared and then when it doesn't happen guess what it does it discredits the return of Jesus it makes people believe oh yeah well he might return yeah I I can see him returning sometime but I really don't think he's going to return in my lifetime here's what I want you to understand 
All those false prophecies, all those predictions that people make, don't listen to them and don't pay attention to them. You need to pay attention to what the word of God says in regard to this. And this is what Jesus said. He said, you be ready. You be ready because he says, I will come like a thief in the night. In the blink of an eye, I will return. In a moment that you least expect it, you be ready. Matthew chapter 25, just a few hours before Jesus is going to die for the sins of all mankind, Jesus tells a parable about ten virgins. These ten virgins are the bridesmaids of the bride. The bride is looking forward to getting married to the groom. Now, marriages in the first century were quite a bit different from marriages today, right? Marriages today, it's all about the bride, isn't it? That's all we care about when we come to wait. Let me see the bride. We want to know what the brides are going to look like. We want to know what the bride has on. We don't care what the groom looks like. We know he's going to be there. Groom is more of a prop today in a wedding than he is anything else. Well, we kind of need a groom. Just put him over there. He looks like all the other grooms we've seen before. But it's the bride that we've come for, right? And then that's that moment in time when the back doors open up. What does everybody do? They all stand and they look towards the bride. It wasn't like that in the first century. It was all about the groom. It was all about the groom coming. When I got married told my wife, I want to go back to the first century. <laughs> when I have my entrance, I don't want to be, to be a guy who just walks in from the side. I don't want to be a guy who just kind of walks down the aisle. I want a grand entrance. She said, what kind of entrance do you want? Well, the church that we got married in was a large church, and they had a catwalk above. And I said, I'd like to be lowered down from the catwalk. And I like to rent fog machines and just make a big cloud of fog. And I just come dropping down from the cloud of fog. And then I want the song, The King is Coming, to play. You know the song, The King is Coming, The King is Coming, praise God, He's coming for me. And I said, hey, honey, if you could record yourself singing that in advance. <laughs> yeah, we didn't do it. I thought I had a chance. I just walked in from the side. It could have been awesome, I'll tell you that. Nowadays, everybody knows when the wedding's going to be, right? There's invitations that are sent out. There's a date and there's a time. There's an RSVP. Wasn't like that in the first century. Bride didn't know when the groom was going to come. She would just be waiting in anticipation. And she was longing every single night, every single day to hear that her, her groom was on his way. And here's how it would work. The groom would have ten groomsmen. And they would all have a lamp. And the lamps would be filled with oil. And if he came at night, they would light the lamps because there were no street lights. And the best man would shout out, here comes the groom for his bride. And then in the distance, she would hear that. She wasn't ready. She wasn't prepared. So she'd get, get ready as fast as she possibly could. She would throw on the dress as quickly as she possibly could. And the quicker she did it, showed how much she was in love with him. And the bridesmaids were ready at a moment's notice as well. So they grabbed their lamps and they would run out. They'd light their lamps and the 20 lamps would go down the street, making the way for the groom to receive his bride. 
Isn't that the analogy that the Bible uses over and over again? Jesus is the groom. We are the bride. The church is the bride. And he will come at a moment's notice when we least expect it. So we need to be prepared to show him how much that we love him, how much we look forward to his return. Well, in the story, in the parable, the ten virgins, five of them let their oil run out. When the groom showed up and the groomsmen were lighting their lamps and it was time for the bridesmaids to run out as well, five of them didn't have a light to shine. So they ran off and they grabbed more oil. Well, they headed on over, the rest of the wedding party headed on over to where the wedding was going to be. And they locked the door. And the five bridesmaids who weren't ready, who weren't prepared, were locked out. Because they weren't ready. And of course the oil represents the choices that they made. I'm fearful for some of us. I'm fearful that you're living your life just as they did in the days of Noah. Just doing this and doing that and not thinking about one thing about Jesus' return. Not living each day as if it might be your last. You're just kind of going with the flow, right? And you've kind of fallen asleep through the whole thing. And yet there are signs, right? There are signs that point to the return of Jesus. And some of you know what these signs are. Jesus said there'll be wars and there'll be rumors of wars. And there'll be sickness and there'll be famine and there'll be pestilence. And natural disasters will increase. And let's be honest, all those things have happened since Jesus said those words. I mean, if we're honest, all those things are always taking place. You ever notice when a new war starts up, people are like, oh, this is it, man. This is it right here. It's just going to be the end of the time right here. This is the war. But it just keeps going on and on and on. And so we just kind of lull ourselves to sleep. We're not really looking forward to, with anticipation, the return of Christ. But there are some signs that you need to be aware of. There are some signs that when you understand what I'm about to share with you, it ought to wake you up to the reality that you could be the generation of people who see the return of Jesus. You say, what, what signs are we talking about, Todd? Well, number one is the rebirth of Israel as a nation back in 1948. Did you know that was prophesied? Ezekiel chapter 37, the prophet is predicting about the valley of dry bones. He's given a prophecy that Israel is going to die... And then over the course of many years, Israel is all of a sudden going to come back to life again. Let's look at what he writes. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it declares the Lord. The nation of Israel was considered dead in A.D. 70. Romans came in, laid siege to the nation. There was nothing left. 
of the Jewish people who remained, those who survived the onslaught, they went into other countries. They, 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 did, they just kind of lived their lives doing their thing. From 70 A.D. to almost well, to 1948, almost 1900 years, Israel did not exist as a nation. It was not on a map for almost 1900 years years. And then in 1948, some people got together and said, you know what? There ought to be a nation of Israel again. So they went back to the homeland where the Bible says this is the, this is the land of the, of, the, of the people of Abraham. And they went there and they declared themselves as a nation. Well, guess how all the Arab nations felt about that? They weren't too excited about that. And they got ready to wage war and wipe these people from the face of the earth once and for all. And then something miraculous happened. Harry S. Truman, the next day, after they proclaimed themselves as a nation, said that the United States of America recognizes Israel as a nation once again. And then he said this, and if you mess with the nation of Israel, you will mess with the United States of America. So for 1,900 years, it doesn't exist. And then in one day... We have the nation of Israel again. And the Bible prophesied that too. Isaiah 66 asked the question, who's ever seen such a thing? Who's ever seen such things? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor that she gives birth to her children. The nation of Israel has to exist for Jesus to return. Do you think we might be living in the last days? Let me give you another one. The recapture of Jerusalem by the Jews. This happened in 1967. Jesus prophesied this, Luke 21. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword, will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. That's what happened. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. He goes on to say, at, the time, at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So for almost 1,900 years, the, the Gentiles, they, they laid siege to Jerusalem. And then there was a six-day war in 1967. And all those Arab nations that weren't excited about Israel being a nation once again, they all gathered together and they surrounded the nation of Israel to wipe them out once and for all. They had twice as many tanks. They had four times the air support. And Israel wiped them in six days. And when they did that, they reclaimed Jerusalem to be a part of Israel once again. That happened in 1967. And what did Jesus say? He said, the people who see this, they need to look up to the skies for the return of Jesus is drawing near. And they give you another one. As a result, Jewish people have gone back to their homeland in record numbers, and the Bible predicts this as well. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. 
In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylon, Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. That's exactly what's happening. Over six million Jews have returned back to Israel to reestablish the land and to rebuild the cities that were there. And the Bible tells us that the return of Jesus, when you see these things happen, that the return of Jesus is near. So yeah, there's going to be false prophecies. There's going to be people saying it's going to happen on this day and this time and this month, and you're going to see it on your tiki-taki, and you're going to see it on the web searches, and you're going to see these things happen. Don't be alarmed. You be ready. You be ready. Second thing that Satan is going to try to do is he's going to set himself as God on this earth. There's a seven-year period in the end times prophecy called the tribulation. It's a seven-year period of time when all hell breaks loose on this earth. And there is a man of lawlessness, that's how 2 Thessalonians describes him, or an antichrist that will come forward and he will have the answers to all the people's questions and people will rally around him. Revelation chapter 13, verse 7, the Bible says, He performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, a lot of you thought that the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine was the sign of the beast. It was not. The Antichrist will come and he'll answer all the questions because they'll be chaos and confusion like never before and he'll have a few military victories early on and as a result of that the whole world will kind of turn to this world figure and he'll have supernatural powers and he will set up an economic system and you have to take some kind of a mark. And we don't know exactly what that mark is. Back of your hand, back on your forehead. You won't be able to buy or sell anything unless you receive this mark. Now, friends, if you are left behind and you are here for that time, do not take that mark. Do not take that mark. Everyone will rejoice in this Antichrist, and after three and a half years, he will set himself up in the new-built temple, and he will say that he is God in the flesh, and he will command that the entire world bow down and worship him. And the first people to oppose him will be the Jewish people, and two-thirds of them will be killed. Verse 7 says, right now, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is restrained. Look at this. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. So right now, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is being restrained. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what's restraining him? Well, I believe in the rapture of the church. 
I believe the trumpet call will happen. The command of God, the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are alive will be caught up with him in the air. And I think there'll be mass pandemonium like we've never seen before as a billion people on planet Earth disappear in the blink of an eye. Can you imagine the chaos and the confusion that would ensue? There would be more car wrecks than you've ever seen before because Christians would all of a sudden disappear and their cars would wreck into other cars. There would be house fires like we've never seen before because people were cooking breakfast or lunch or dinner and they left the stove on because they just disappeared. Can you imagine the number of planes that will fall from the sky because both the pilot and the co-pilot just disappeared? Do you remember 9-11? Two planes go into the World Trade Towers. All hell breaks loose on this earth. We go home. We watch the TV. It finally got to a point after about day three, the media, this is a shocker, said, turn us off. It's causing you to be depressed. There was so much chaos and so much confusion, and the news just got worse and worse and worse. How about when a little virus came from China? You remember that one? That was a great time. Remember being sent home? And all the sporting events, like March Madness got shut down. That was a ripoff, I tell you what, right now. I mean, everything just got shut down, didn't it? And then if you stayed open, you were seen as someone evil and wrong, and churches shut down, everybody shut down everybody stayed home my goodness we had five staff members at this church me and four others were coming to this place every other office was was empty you couldn't even have more than five people in your home if you had six people somebody had to go and we sat there and we wondered where we're gonna die and we wondered, will the shutdown stop a virus from spreading? We know the answer now, don't we? Stock market crashed. Governments didn't know what to do. Scrambling for a vaccine. And we saw the horror of the early days as so many people died. Placed in those refrigerator trucks. It was awful. Well, compound that by a billion. A billion people disappear. Governments shut down. Schools shut down. Your loved ones are missing. There's chaos and confusion on every single street. And all of a sudden, the man of lawlessness will come during the seven-year tribulation period, and he'll have all the answers to everybody's questions, and he'll have supernatural power. And everyone before will say, oh my goodness, finally someone with some answers, someone who can turn this situation around. And they won't have any problem at all bowing down before him, worshiping him, and having a one-world government and a one-world currency. Now, thankfully, this period of time, this tribulation period, only lasts seven years. And at the end of the seven-year period is a thing called the Battle of Armageddon. And, and, and Jesus will come back with the armies of heaven, and he will fight against Satan and all the kings of this earth, and it won't even be close, friends. It'll be over so fast, you'll be like, I can't believe how quick that was. It won't even be close. So you don't need to be afraid. That brings me to my third point. 
third thing Satan is doing right now is he'll do everything in his power to suppress the truth from us about who Jesus is. Isn't that what he's doing right now? He's doing everything in his power to keep us from trusting in Jesus. So now what's wrong is right and what's right is wrong. And we're going to deconstruct this and we're going to deconstruct that. We're going to change this and change that and fix this definition to fit our liking. And there's no such thing as sin anymore. You notice that? There's no such thing as absolute truth. The Bible is out of date and out of touch. And as far as you really getting serious about Jesus, well, you can have a little bit of Jesus, but don't go overboard, right? And if you go to church, that's fine. If you tune in at home, that's okay. But don't go crazy about this, you know? You got time. You got plenty of time. You don't need to take these things very seriously. There's an old legend that says that Satan got together with his chief demon lieutenants. He said, we got to stop people from giving their lives over to Jesus Christ. So one demon lieutenant said, well, I tell you what we do. We'll we'll make you into a cartoon character. Give you a pitchfork and red PJs, little horns. Everybody will laugh at you and think you're a joke. And Satan said, that'll never work. Oh, it might work for a few people, but for the most, the masses of people, they'll never give in to that. They don't exist. There's too much evil in the world to think of such a thing. Second demon lieutenant came forward. He, he said, I, I have an idea. Why, why, don't, why don't we just tell them that, you know, that Jesus is the, is the way and the truth and the life? But, 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 but let's tell them that, you know, they got time. They got time to put it off. Tell them that they're sinners. Tell them that there's evil. Tell them that you exist. Just tell them that they got plenty of time to make that decision tomorrow. And Satan smiled. And he said, yes, that will work. Well done, good and faithful servant. And it has worked. People say, I'll put that off. I'll make that decision tomorrow. I don't need to make that decision today. Friends, you have no guarantees of tomorrow. Jesus could crack open the sky and everything changes in the blink of an eye. Could happen. You might not make it home. You probably will. But there will be a day. It would be your last. And let me ask you a question. Why would you want to put it off? I mean, if you love him, you want to live for him, right? If you're a sinner and you know you owe a debt to a holy God, wouldn't you want to get that taken care of today? Why would you want to hold on to that to the very end? Best decision I ever made was 15 years old, on my knees by my bed in my room. I asked Jesus to come into my life. I didn't care if Jesus was coming back tomorrow or not. I knew I needed him today. And the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. So I pray that today would be your day. In this moment in time, you would trust Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may we finally come to our senses. May we stop putting off what we know we need to do. And may we trust you in a way we've never trusted you before. Lord, for those of us who are here, who know that we're sinners that need a Savior. We know that you loved us so much that you sent your Son to die for us. We know that you rose again from the dead. And yet we've never prayed to ask you into our life. I pray today would be the day. Today would be the day 
we would trust you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.